0: This message is from Icon. From community icon church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro and Metro. Community and renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. Icon or follow us on Facebook. Instagram, a Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Icon Family and Friends. Over the last several months, as we've been walking through this pandemic, uh, we've we've been in contact with each other. We've been talking, and one of the things that one of the many things that we've been hearing is just how hard this time is, just how strange this time is, just how foreign this time is. It's very difficult not to be able to uh, have the normal physical connection that we've become accustomed to. It's hard when uh, many of us have been uh, watching the news and we see the impacts that uh, COVID-19 has had, as we see numbers rising, as we uh, know several people who have succumbed to the virus, as uh, we are in the midst of coming out of uh, an election season and we're moving into the the holiday season. We have had so many things happening. There's a, a whirlwind of events that are occurring And honestly, I don't know if you're like me, but it can be really easy to feel like I just don't have the heart for this anymore. It's so hard for me to to engage, to want to stay effectively connected. It's so hard to feel like I'm I'm in this right now. I just want a break. I just want to take a break. I'm just not in the mood for all of this. And that can really affect not just how we feel personally, how we feel with our family. It affects our worship. You get to the place where you're like, I see what's here in the text, I hear what's being preached, but honestly, even from a worship perspective, I just don't have the heart for it right now. So what do I do when I don't have the heart for it right now? Everything around me is just sucking the life out of me, and I just don't have the heart for it. Where's Jesus then? where is Jesus when we don't have the heart for it? Where is Jesus when we're just not in the mood for it? How do we find Jesus? And even better, how does he find us? That feeling, that mood, that's the same feeling that we find that the disciples have in this portion of the text that we're sitting in today. As we've been going through the book of John and Uh, reading this letter that John wrote, this gospel message, uh, very specifically pointing and focusing on some unique things about Jesus and his followers. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, some would argue the closest disciple to Jesus, is sharing some, some keen insights into who Jesus is, to who we are, and what he does to meet us when we don't have the heart to meet him. So let's look at John Uh, Chapter 20, we're going to follow up with where Jen preached uh, last week. And I think we're going to tie those together pretty well. So John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you pick this story up after what Jen has just preached to us last week, there are a few things that we have to take note of. First, the fact that uh, the disciples have just been told, given news about Jesus being resurrected. And as Jen pointed out, who were the ones or who was the one or the ones who, who shared that message? Who are the ones that came to tell them that Jesus had been resurrected? Well, you see, Mary Magdalene, and this uh, what John focuses on. Mary Magdalene brings this message to them, this truth, this this incredible, great news. This is not just good news for them; it should be great news, right? She she comes to them and says, tells them, basically, he's risen. I've seen him. Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. Now, keep in mind why this should have been. Great news. These folks, these disciples, had just been walking with Jesus for three years. They spent time watching his life. They've they've spent time watching his miracles, listening to his teaching, seeing love on display in a way that had never been shown in the history of the world. They've seen all of this. And then at the very end, what do they see? They see something that some of us might even be familiar with. They see a trumped-up trial, a trial that never brought justice for their teacher and their friend. Then they saw horrific brutal, uh, brutalization and torture of their good friend and teacher. And then they see the death of their, brutal, of their friend and their teacher. What does that say? They are completely overrun just by the fact that they've seen horrific things happen to Jesus. He's been teaching them and making promises to them and embodying God himself. And they're overwhelmed at the first end, just going, who is this guy? What is happening? We're following him. He's doing miraculous things. And then they see the system break him. They see the system kill him. So they're sitting in a place where they're really overwhelmed and sad. So it makes sense why they would then find themselves indoors, locked away. Because in many ways, they don't know what to make of the promises that Jesus made, right? He said he would return. He said that he would uh, raise his body, that temple, up again in three days. He had been making those promises, but they weren't holding on to that. The women were. The women had the faith that these men didn't have. And so because they were in a faithless place of, of not in a place of expectancy, not in a place of waiting and watching and looking for their Messiah to return the way he promised, but they were hiding out understandably, they were hiding out because they were very much afraid of facing the same fate that had befallen Jesus, right? You've got these Jewish leaders, as it says here, these Jewish leaders that had already hated Jesus and wanted him put to death. And so they knew they were being hunted down. So they're hiding. Doors are locked and they're hiding. And Mary Magdalene comes and tells them, he's risen. He's back. He's here. And so we find ourselves in this first uh, verse uh, of our text in verse 19, says again, when it was evening of that first day of the week, this is the evening of uh, the, the resurrection, right? This is the evening that occurs when Jesus has risen already. They don't know it yet, but the women do. And by the evening, they are now being told he's risen. So here it is that first day of the week, which would have been a Sunday. The disciples gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. And then Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. A few things here that's interesting to me. The fact that the doors are locked and Jesus just appears. The doors are locked, Jesus appears. Now, why are, and this is is interesting to me, why are the doors locked? Why have they locked themselves away after hearing the news from the women, right? After hearing Mary Magdalene's news, this great news, why are they still hiding? Why are they still locked away? Listen, if you're, if you're like me, I'm sure we have all felt this thing where we're like, you know, I, I don't, if I don't believe something, if it's hard for me to hold to a certain truth, then we start, we start living in whatever other truths make us most comfortable or make us feel safe. What made them feel safe was, we don't know about the stuff the women are talking about, but we do know that folks are coming after us. And so the best we can do is lock ourselves away, self-protect, and hey, at least we'll have each other. There's something about when you're in a faithless place, you only feel comfortable with other faithless people. Because those people, alongside you, you're holding on to each other, and it's almost like let's be faithless together. Because at least there's a familiarity in the faithlessness. And so you've got these disciples who really, they're not believing what Jesus has said before, and they're not believing what the women said. Now, why would they not have believed what the women said? Well, Jen talked about this before. There was already this idea that you really can't trust what women say. It's sad because there are people today that still kind of think this way or they function that way. Well, women, they get emotional. Well, they're feeling some things. You can't trust feelings as if God didn't give us feelings, as if God does not have feelings. Well, you can't trust uh, that. So women weren't even allowed to testify in court back then. So a woman's testimony wouldn't have been uh, true or wouldn't have been looked at as true. And so there's this built-in bias, this built-in misogyny that's already at play as well. Hey, we're not going to really listen to those women right now because that's not real proof anyway. So instead, this is what it's interesting is their own misogyny, their own bias, and their own fear feeds their faithlessness. That's something we've got to hold to. Our biases, our doubts, our fears, they feed into our faithlessness. Well, I doubt that. So I'm just gonna hold on to the thing I think is true that I know for sure. And then that, even though Jesus has said something different and even though there are people demonstrating and sharing that the very thing Jesus said has been made manifest, I'm still gonna hold on to my doubts and my biases because that's what's most comfortable. So. Put ourselves in that place. Put ourselves in that place where what we've seen has made us say, has has given us reason to fear, to lock away, to hide. Despite things being shown, or despite people saying, Hey, by the way, this isn't what Jesus said. Something else is true. So we're holding on to that and we're locked away and we're in hiding. Where is Jesus then? Because at that moment. We're not in the mood to trust Jesus. These disciples weren't in the mood to to remember Jesus's words. They weren't in the mood to remember the promises Jesus made. Where is Jesus when you don't have a heart for it? Where is Jesus when you are not in the mood? Well, look at what Jesus does. I'm so thankful that this is in the text that John includes this. They locked out everything. They lock themselves away from being faithful. We need to be so thankful that Jesus doesn't always wait for us to open the door to faithfulness. Jesus actually said, The door is locked. I'm going to walk right through. I'm going to meet you in the place of your faithlessness. And then what does he do when he gets there? He doesn't just show up, he does, and they are taken aback. But when he shows up, he does three things he speaks to them. He shows them his wounds and he breathes on them. He speaks to them. He shows them his wounds and he breathes on them. This is an incredible act of love and mercy and grace here. Because he easily could have been like, why is the door locked? Why, why Why are you afraid? I told you that I was coming. I told you I would be back. The women already are ahead of you. Where are you at? He doesn't even shame them per se. He doesn't uh, hold them in the way. He doesn't call them out and try to browbeat them with that. They're aware, but he doesn't do that. He shows up. It's just something to, to, to be said when you think about the fact that even when we're not looking for Jesus, he comes looking for us. And they didn't really, they weren't in the place where they were looking for him. They were looking out for themselves. And yet he appears, doors locked this seemingly impenetrable force or, or a fortress, if you will, and he just comes right in. That's the state of a lot of our hearts. There are many of us, many of you, I've talked to you, many of you who are like, I wasn't looking for Jesus when my heart was hit. I wasn't looking for Jesus when my life began to change. I wasn't looking for Jesus when areas of my, it, the ways that I think, the things that I felt, they started to change. I wasn't looking for him. He was looking for me. We should take great joy and great comfort, even in this first part of this story. Because here you've got folks who are in a place where they are mired in their bias, mired in their faithlessness, and he meets them there. And so having said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. So he spoke first and he said, peace be with you. That word peace It's actually the Greek word, Irene. It's actually where we get the name Irene. It's the Greek counterpart to the Hebrew word, Shalom. This idea of peace, total peace, holistic peace, not just the absence of conflict. We've talked about this before. It's not just, I wanna make sure there's no arguments. I wanna make sure that we're not mad at each other. It's deeper than that, right? It's this complete, this idea that life is being lived and experienced the way it was meant to be lived and experienced. So, so the things that will cause reason for fracture begin to be removed. And so he looks at them. Remember, they've got a whole lot, a huge lack of peace right now. Why are they lacking this holistic sense of being, this holistic sense of walking in trust, walking in faith, walking free from fear? Why are they not having that? Because they know that there are people that are likely out to get them right now. They just saw Jesus get killed they're worried that they're next. So there is a lack of peace. So Jesus comes fully knowing where they are, the state of their hearts, the states of their minds, and he says, "Peace be unto you." This isn't just some kind of perfunctory phrase that you just say like, "How you doing? Praise God, praise the Lord, God is good." That's not what this is. He doesn't use these silly tropes, he doesn't use clichés. He's saying I am here to restore the peace that has been broken in you because of what you've seen, because of what you have felt, because of what you've experienced. That's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to restore the peace that's been broken. He comes to restore the peace that's been stolen. So the things that we see, the things we've experienced, he comes to where you are and says, that thing that was stolen, I'm here to restore. Peace be unto you. So he says this, he brings these words to them. He speaks and then he shows, he shows them his wounds. I'm going to save this because he shows again when Thomas comes. So we'll talk about Thomas uh, and then we'll talk about this idea of showing his wounds, but he, he speaks to them and then he, he shows them. And then after, when he starts to speak to them again, it shows, he he says in verse 21, peace to you as the father has sent me, I also send you. And then after that, He breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. Now we're living in COVID days, right? So the moment I see this and I go breathe on them, I'm like, I hope somebody had a mask. Wait a minute, it's Jesus. He would have never had COVID. I don't got to worry about that, right? But it's easy right away when I see breathe, my mind just jumps to so many different places. There's something very specific here that we're supposed to see. When we see him breathing on them, there's this picture, this callback, all the way back to Genesis all the way back to God, breathing breath, breathing life into mankind, breathing life into Adam and creating Eve, what it means to breathe life in to something that previously had no life. There's a picture here, something that is both symbolic and very real, that while they knew what was true, their hearts weren't in it. Why are our hearts not in it, even when we know what's true? Because there's something about our heart that needs to be revived and we need it regularly. So Jesus comes, he speaks truth to them. First of all, it's evident that he's alive because he's there. You would have thought just showing up would have been enough, but it wasn't. Because he shows up, tells them, I'm coming to bring you peace. I'm, I'm giving you peace. I'm blessing you with peace, the peace of my presence and the peace of my promises. But then, but then over, it, it goes beyond that. He breathes on them, showing I am God in the flesh. And in the same way that I was with the Father in the beginning, breathing life into mankind, spiritually, you are desperately in need of life being breathed into you again. I think all of us can connect to that. So many of us, we just feel emotionally dry, emotionally spent, spiritually dry, spiritually spent. Some of you I've talked to and you've said, I I just, I feel stuck. I feel like, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. I feel like I'm just exhausted. I'm tired of doing this over and over again. I'm tired of trying to hold on to the little things I can just to have hope. Because sadly, some of the good things that we hold to, they're nowhere near the most ultimate thing we should be holding to. And on some level, our hearts need the very spirit of God to be breathed back into us. That's the only way we have the heart to stick it out. We don't conjure up our own, the, 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 the wherewithal and the willpower to stick it out. We don't conjure up this idea of what it means to be faithful on our own. We try. We create a lot of different ways so that we can look faithful. So some of the things that we do that might be really good, but alone may not be enough, Hey, I'm going to make sure people know how much scripture I'm memorizing so that when I quote it, I'll look faithful and maybe I'll convince myself that I am faithful. Versus holding on to the one thing that is true, the one thing that gives me faith over anything, the one thing that gives me faith in the midst of seeing so many things that would bring doubt in the midst of dealing with my own biases and in the midst of dealing with all of my fear, the one thing that should give me hope is this truth of a resurrected Christ that is ever breathing life into me over and over and over again. That is where they found themselves. So Jesus, when he comes, he doesn't just show up. He shows up, shows himself and breathes life into them. Receive the Holy Spirit then we come to Thomas. And this is where there's another question we need to ask, right? Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, even if you haven't, you've heard the phrase, it's made it into our general kind of Western lexicon. We've, everyone knows the phrase a doubting Thomas, right? Someone who is, uh, for some reason, they just don't believe on the same level that the other folks are believing. And maybe they hear something, but they're from the show me state. They need to be shown everything, right? You're a doubting Thomas. And we, we, we use that as a pejorative against people, right? We almost use that as an invective against certain people, right? We use that to make people feel faithless and to shame them because of their faithlessness. Is that fair here? When you, let's just tear away right? All of the ways that we have conventionally understood this. And let's just look at it on, on, the, on the surface. But Thomas, verse 24, but Thomas called twin, one of the 12. He was not with them when Jesus came. So that first part of the story we just saw, 19 through 23, Thomas wasn't there for that. We don't know why. People have theories. We don't know why he wasn't there, but he wasn't there. Thomas isn't there. And yet the, the other folks, so, I guess it would have been 10 there because Judas is gone. So, you got 10 folks there, and they've seen Jesus and they've had this experience. Jesus has spoken to them, shown him his wounds, and then breathed on them, told them, right? Empowered them. Uh, I, I didn't mention here because there's a whole lot of theories behind it, but it tells them if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Lots of theories here, but one really good one that I think really would fit here is this, what it means, because people have taken this and thought this gives some incredible like power and authority that translates to pastors and or popes, depending on what church tradition you come from. Uh, ultimately, we know that can't be it because a lot of these folks still show faithlessness throughout their lives as we see later. You look in Acts and you see some of those things being at play but ultimately what, we, what, what may be true here is this idea of forgiving sins. Remember, Jesus has been talking about the sin of unbelief throughout all of John. John has been focusing on belief. That's the theme, right? We're gonna see that at the very end. I write these things so that you may believe. The biggest sin that John highlights is the sin of unbelief. So in many ways, they are the ones who can definitely determine who is faithful and who is not. If you hold to the resurrection of Jesus, I can say your sin is forgiven, not because I forgave it, but because you are agreeing with what Jesus has already displayed. And if you do not believe those things, you are not agreeing with what Jesus has displayed and that is sin. So that's likely what's being said here. But Jesus has done all of that and Thomas wasn't there. So, So Thomas has only been able to know what happened via hearsay. He's had to listen to likely the women that were a part of the crew as well as the the disciples, the men who were there. And they've been sharing, hey, we we see this. We saw what happened, right? Thomas, one of the 12, wasn't with them, so the disciples were telling him. In verse 25, we've seen the Lord. And over these days, Thomas is like, if I don't see the mark, and the nails of his hands, if I don't see the the wounds in his side, if I can't put my hand in there, I'm not believing y'all. Now we can easily go, Thomas is just stubborn, stiff necked. He's just so frustratingly unbelieving. And we tend to look at him as if that wouldn't have been us. We tend to look at him as the other. We look at him as that's just one, I can't stand those kinds of people, people who just need to be showing everything. But ultimately, let me ask you something. If you weren't there, would that be enough for you to believe it? If you weren't there, would that be enough? Well, maybe. Here's the ways in which I might believe it. If you tell me that something is true and then you live your life demonstrating that it's true, then I might believe you. But if you tell me something is true, but then you live your life as if that thing is false, I have a hard time believing that it's true. Thomas has been with these. Now we see about a week later, Jesus shows up again, right? A week later, Jesus shows up to uh, build their faith yet again. Why? Because for a week, they have still been living faithless. They saw Jesus and they're still living in fear. They saw Jesus and where are they? Locked in doors again a week later. So Thomas, ultimately we're left to to believe in many ways, left to surmise that Thomas is seeing Still, them not walking in the resurrection of Jesus. Jen laid it out for us last week. The resurrection should be living in our bodies. What does that mean? That's not just a cute thing to say. Ultimately, like she said last week, the way that we think, the way that we function, the way that we organize, the way that we walk, everything that emanates out of who we are displays the resurrection. These disciples weren't displaying that. So Thomas is looking and going, y'all ain't living it. You're surely not walking like it. So if he is alive, I'm going to have to see him because I don't see him in you. You know, many times we can look at folks who find themselves in places of real doubt, find themselves struggling in their faith. And ultimately we'll just say, well, you just got to figure it out for yourself. Well, you just got to get on your knees and start praying more. Get in your word, get in your Bible, read more, right? We put the onus on them. You know what we rarely do? Put the onus on us. In other words, how many people are finding themselves in uh, nursing heavy doubts, inculcating all kinds of faithlessness, not just because they're stubborn, but because of the faithlessness displayed by people who claim to follow Jesus. How many times do we stop and go, man, are there things in my own life that's displaying a faithlessness that might not be building the faith of others around me? So if they find themselves doubting, it doesn't mean that you're responsible for their faith. We get that, you gotta work your faith out, right? With fear and trembling, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. However, we we are a people based in community. We're not just isolated. So on some level, My faith should be strengthening yours and my faithlessness could weaken yours. My doubts could weaken yours. So we need to play this game of like, okay, I'm struggling here, your faithfulness is gonna have to encourage me. You're struggling now, my faithfulness has to encourage you. Thomas is standing, is is among folks who are because of the situation, because of the coming fears, because of their biases, because of their doubts, He's not seeing the resurrected Christ lived out in their lives. So he doesn't believe. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And nor should, I don't think he should necessarily be maligned for that. And so when Jesus gets there, there's uh, Thomas and Thomas sees him. He's already said, if I don't see the marks, if I don't see the wounds, I won't believe. So a week later, verse 26, a week later, they're indoors again. Thomas is with them this time, and the doors are locked again this time. They're still in hiding. Jesus came and stood among them, did the very same thing again. See, a lot of times we would say, well, if, I, if only, you know, may, maybe if they would have just believed the words that Mary told them, then maybe then they would have been faithful, right? Maybe not, because Jesus himself showed up and they still lived like people who are faithless. We gotta stop thinking, we just need another sign. We gotta stop thinking we just need more evidence. We don't need another sign. We don't need even more evidence. We need the spirit of God to continually breathe into us. We need the spirit of God to continually change our hearts. And he does that in so many different ways. But one of the primary ways is through his people, through us connecting to each other, breathing and repeating the very words that were breathed into us. He is risen, he is alive. He is keeping his promises. He is making all things new. He is fixing the things that are broken. Your eyes see things that say that death is the final answer, but the resurrection says death is only the beginning. This is what we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over again. And so he sees Thomas. He doesn't, again, he doesn't chastise Thomas. He doesn't say how sad it is for you that you got to put your fingers in in my wounds how weird it is that you need to do something like that. He he doesn't do that. He looks at him and he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas saw what should have been true without seeing, but could not have been true because because the resurrection wasn't being lived out amongst the people that were supposed to tell him. So it couldn't have been, he, he, he didn't. He didn't have the wherewithal to even know how to attain that or apprehend that as true. And so here he puts his hands, he touches the wounds in Jesus's hands. He puts his hand into the side of Jesus and he sees what is true and he believes what is true. And he responds, the way that we should respond every time we're reminded of what is true about Jesus, and he says, "My Lord, and my God." My Lord, and my God. Thomas shows this this uh, not only just deference, but but real worship. This acknowledgement of who Jesus is. Most of the time, I would say all the time, when we are struggling in sin, when we're struggling. With faithlessness, we're struggling with fear. In many ways, our, our minds are believing in a Jesus that doesn't fully exist correctly. And so I, on some level, I've got to remember, wait, Jesus isn't just another torture teacher. Jesus isn't just another really, really nice person that got broken down by the system. I have to see Jesus as this victorious, triumphal savior that is not done breathing into me. You see, the moment I feel like I no longer have life being breathed in, deep in our hearts of hearts, we know we don't have enough life on our own to breathe out. We know that on some level, there's this Holy Spirit respiration that has to occur, right? I can't give you what hasn't been breathed into me. And so if God is not breathing truth into me regularly, And this respiration, this this inhalation and exhalation that needs to occur in order for this rhythm rhythm to happen, in order for this rhythm to function, I've got to have God breathing into me. And I need it often. You know why? Because I'm prone to hold my breath. I'm prone to just stop. That last breath I took in, I ignorantly think that'll be enough to hold me over. And so I hold on. I don't even breathe it out. The moment I, if I don't breathe it out, there's nothing, right? There's no life being breathed out into other people. So they're not getting encouraged. Their faith is starting to struggle. That's why we don't do uh, our Christianity, our walk alone. So, so Jesus is doing this. He does this twice. He shows up the first time, speaks to them, encourages them, breathes on them. And he does it here now where Thomas can now experience it. And Jesus said, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, some pe- people would look at this and go, that's his way of maybe chastising Thomas. But I don't know that that's necessarily fair because also what Jesus is showing is he, first of all, he's stating, he's making a very true observation. You didn't see me and you've seen me now. And you believe, again, it, on some level, one could argue, Thomas should have had a good sense of seeing Jesus from his other brothers who had been following with him, but their faithlessness probably affected that. But beyond that, Jesus is also just making a very a, a, a clear statement, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Who are all those that have not seen and yet believe? We are. All of the people that are going to come after because of these disciples, finally, and in very imperfect ways, right, uh, living out, embodying this faith, because of that, they go out and share the good news. What's the good news? We see it over and over again, that he lived, that he died, that he resurrected, according to the scriptures. That's what Paul says. He said, this is what I delivered to you as a first importance, right, in Colossians. This is what I gave you as a first importance that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, according to the scriptures. That's the great news, right? They've gone out and shared that everywhere. History, tradition says, many traditions say that Thomas ended up making his way to India. And so huge portions of what was then India that heard the gospel heard it because of Thomas. And then he ended up being martyred later. That's what history, that's what some traditions tell us. So, so Thomas, because of the truth that had been breathed into him, he went out and breathed that to the world. So yes, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. All of us are people who have not seen, but believe. If we are believers in Jesus, we haven't seen his resurrected body, but we believe it and we believe it for so many reasons. First, we read the scriptures, we hear that. We hear the witnesses. We listen to the accounts of the witnesses that are recorded here. And we see the resurrected life lived out amongst his followers. And then we see the resurrected life lived out in ourselves. This is what it means to live and walk in that promise that Jesus has given us. And so when we come to this place, we have to come back to the question we started. Where is Jesus when my heart isn't in it? Jesus is the one breathing life back into your heart again. When you're not there for him, he is always there for you. When you're not looking for him, he is always looking for you. When you're overlooking him, he's not ignoring. He's not just leaving you there. He comes when you've locked the doors to almost keep everyone out, including him. He just comes right through. This is one of those things I love to say. I've said before, sometimes Jesus comes and he knocks at the door. And we love creating this picture of Jesus knocking at the door. And sometimes he just makes his own way in. And it's to our benefit that he functions that way. Because ultimately, he wants to remind us we are prone to forget over and over again what the greatest news is. And so we get overwhelmed by the news of the day. We look at the news and the news tells us this is your greatest need now. We look at the issues, whether it's political, we look at issues that are in our very local communities, very important things that we have to tie into, that we have to be aware of. Don't get me wrong. But we get to a place, I can get to a place where those things become the greatest news in my life. And the moment that becomes the greatest news in my life, I've stopped breathing. The, the, the air that I'm supposed to be taking in, I'm no longer taking it, which means I can't even give out the very truth that should have revived my heart yet again. My heart, your heart, desperately in need of revival, desperately in need of resuscitation. We need it. We cannot make it without it. So where is Jesus when your heart's not in it? He's breathing life again. He's breathing life again. John closes this chapter by saying Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Ultimately, Jesus came. He said before, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest, have it more abundantly. We've talked about that. That's not just I'm coming so that you can have the job that you want, the husband or the wife that you want, the car that you want, the clothes that you want. That's beyond that. There is a life that we can live on this side of eternity as we look forward to that perfected life eventually. There is a life of peace. Doesn't mean a life free from conflict, but there's a life of peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. How do I have a peace that doesn't make sense? How do I have a peace that allows me to hold to some degree of abiding joy when everything I see says, you have no reason to be happy right now. You have no reason to hope right now. The very things that you put your hope in are being crushed all around you. That makes no sense for me to have some sense of peace in the midst of that. How do I have that? The only thing that brings me peace is the truth of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrected Jesus himself breathing life into me over and over again. This is brought to us so that we will believe in who Jesus is, that we would believe that he's the Son of God, that we would believe to the extent that we have real life, breathing, inhaling, exhaling, inhaling, exhaling, and we walk through that two-step dance, in many ways, faith and repentance, faith and repentance, and we dance that two-step until Jesus returns, perfects our dance, perfects our breathing, perfects our life to his glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the ways in which you find us long before we find you, the ways in which you uh, impress your spirit upon our hearts, we begin to see the ways that we don't see you. We start to feel the things that we didn't feel before. We start to acknowledge things that were just beyond us. And Lord, what that means is in many ways, uh, you, you show us the ways that we lock everything out, even trying to lock you out. And our hearts are just not in it. God, right now, we have so many things that are hitting us. There are many of us who have lost loved ones. There are many of us who are overwhelmed. There are many of us who are struggling, making ends meet because of what's happening. And those are all legitimate concerns. And we have legitimate prayer requests to those ends. But Father, that news, all of those uh, types of news, they have become the ultimate news for us. They have become, in many ways, the most influential news for us. And so, God, whether we mean to or not, we find ourselves just holding our spiritual breaths. And so when we're holding our breath, it's difficult for anything to come in, and it's difficult for anything to come out. God, I pray that you would open up our airways, open up our lungs, open up our nasal passages. I pray that spiritually you will breathe life into us now, wherever we are, whether we're locked behind closed doors or whether we are out in the fields, I pray that you will open our hearts, open our eyes, breathe your spirit into us over and over again, that we might not forget where our greatest joy is. And I pray that we would do this, not so that we can feel better, but so that we will know better, that we will know what is true, that we will remember what is true. You gave us this so that we might know and that we might believe in who you are. So breathe into us in such a way that we know you better for having breathed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive this benediction from God together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God our savior be glory majesty dominion and power both now and forever and all God's people said amen god bless you praise god from whom all blessed.